What's up, everyone? This is the Nuts and Bolts Podcast, and I'm your host, the one Jamie, here with our amazing co-host, Michael Kritz. <laughs> what to do? And Airball's out today in a meeting with Teferi. He said it's time-sensitive. And uh, we're here to give you the nuts and bolts of the Standard and Pioneer formats each and every week. But first, let me talk to you about the sponsor of this podcast, CoolStuffInc.com. Using code JAMES5, you can save 5% off of anything in the store, sealed products, singles, anything you could ever need in Magic the Gathering and every other card game for that matter. They have it. Go save yourself some hard-earned money and go to CoolStuffInc.com today. You know what's coming up next. It's the upkeep. The jargon of today is going to be a little bit contextual to the Magic the Gathering community feelings this week. It's the stack and the triggers to go on the stack. It's a very... Uh, I, I don't know how to say this. It's a, it's a very interesting topic today in Magic the Gathering, if you're listening to this right now. We're going to talk... We're going to go to Michael here to talk about the stack, and then we'll talk about triggered abilities after this, but go ahead. Yeah, the stack. I think one of the most interesting uh, things in Magic. But anyway, uh, how the stack works is a lot of the effects, triggers, instant spells, some sorcery spells, or things that are about to be casted or being casted get put on the stack. And how the stack works is it's a way to resolve multiple um, spells or interactions uh, so that they're organized. And how it happens is it's a last-in first out type of thing so that means the last thing you put into it is going to be the first thing that comes out of it or gets removed from the stack like a stack of pancakes you know uh at your favorite place like ihop except this is on magic stuff and uh it has to deal with all the magic interactions so if you have a big stack how you want to resolve things is remove the last thing that was put there uh on the top of the stack and then you go down and Resolve things as you go down, like eating a big stack of pancakes. You eat from the top, work your way to the bottom. Um, and it's just a very magnificent way to keep things neat and organized with all the many things that are happening in a Magic game. Yes, and this is particularly interesting because triggered abilities also go on the stack. And here's what a triggered ability is. it's A, tr- a triggered ability is an ability that automatically does something when a certain event occurs or a set of conditions is met, the latter is called a state-triggered ability. So at the start of your end step, do X would be a triggered ability. At the beginning of your upkeep, do X is a triggered ability, something that is a state-based triggered ability. Uh, There's a situation that is in the MTG community this week. If you're listening to it this week, if it's in the future, just look back and reminisce on this week, okay? You probably remember this. Okay. Shieldred. Uh, in, in big tournaments, uh, Shieldred, um, the ability after the after the card is drawn to lose life or gain life goes on the stack. And if there's multiple Shieldreds on the battlefield on, on either side, then the turn player triggered ability goes in the stack first. And then the non-turn player triggered ability goes in the stack after. And as Michael said, it stacks off like pancakes. So the non-turn players one will resolve first and this could come with really shaky things like if if someone is at two life and there's two triggers on the uh, and then the second person uh, second the non-turn turn player shield goes off and kills you before you can gain the life back with your draw trick with your trigger to gain life 
<laughs> so there's a bunch of different things that can go on here and it can get pretty confusing especially when there's a bunch of spells in the stack and stuff and um there's some situations this week about people accidentally i guess quote unquote forgetting the trigger that would kill them <laughs> oh that's funny <laughs> there was there was a couple things that there was a few things that happened at big tournaments mm. that uh and triggers mm. that are missed and things and there's rules for that and we don't have time to go over all those today in the podcast but it's just a very interesting thing if you want to look more into that you can look it up yourself but that's what a triggered ability is it's any ability that automatically does something as like a cause or effect when an event occurs, this ability will happen. Anyway, let's go ahead and get into the main phase today. We're going to talk about some standard. The state of standard. We're going to go over a tier list with everybody. Talk about some S tier, A tier, go down to B, C, and D tier. And then we'll be all done. There's some decks that we want to mention. We're not going to go into too much detail with this. But we are going to give you what the state of standard is. And I personally played in the standard tournament today. Interestingly enough, um, I ended up, I'm going to toot my own horn here and say I went undefeated. Because I did. With oh. my Demir control deck, which is nowhere on the oh. tier list. <laughs> But I didn't want to pay for Shieldreds, and I didn't want to pay for Wandering Emperors, and didn't want to pay for, um, let's see, what else is expensive <laughs> in paper right now? Wedding Announcement, because it's played in Pioneer also. Oh, and wow. There's that card. There's just like, the decks can get up to like four, five, and $600 in paper. Yeah. So this Demir Control look at, deck. Look at you, the <laughs> one, Jane. Really the man of the people. Just playing <laughs> off meta decks. This one, this one cost me $200. Wow! In total, so much. No shieldreds, can you believe it? Mm. I know. Turns out, silver scrutiny is a really good card. But anyway, that's nowhere on this tier list. But I, I must tell you that silver scrutiny and Teferi are very good together, and uh, especially when you have Teferi on the battlefield and you have one of those tokens or maybe multiple of them, and you resolve a uh, invoke despair, and then you draw three, and then triggers, triggers, triggers. Wait a second, triggers. <laughs> Uh, it, 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 it even goes with the jargon today. So mm -hmm. I had a lot of fun today. Played against some some soldiers. I played against uh, green white in, uh, enchantments. Played against there's another soldiers player, and uh, there's also a mono white aggro player that uh, that was splashing red and black for the archangel of wrath. So the worst a lot of lot, combo and magic. <laughs> a lot of stuff Mono? going on there, but. We <laughs> end up taking it down with uh, with the blue black control. So I see anyway, why. <laughs> you see why. <laughs> I just, <laughs> don't, don't give me that face, Michael. Don't give me that face. Oh, um, good. Yeah, if you're listening to this on the podcast, just go to the YouTube channel and look at his face real quick. But uh, anyways, let's talk about the big bad, the big S tier deck in Ooh. standard, Rixis Midrange. And yeah, we all know if you've been following standard for a little bit. This deck won Worlds, so mm -hmm. nothing new with it being the best deck in the format. But mm -hmm. Grixis Midrange just combines a lot of the best cards and puts it together. Fable the Mirror Breaker, yeah. one of the best cards in Standard. We got, mm -hmm. got Shieldred, we got Blood Tithe Harvester, we have Invoke Despair, we have some mm -hmm. Counterspell action coming up against other control decks, and we can really t beat down our opponents with Shieldred, Graveyard Trespasser, you know, just a bunch of stuff. Grixis just like, if you can think about a deck doing something, this deck can do it all. Yeah, I mean, Trixis mid-range, super great. You also have, like, Corpse Appraiser, which gets you an extra card, which works well with the uh, Fable, and 
you know, one of the, the scariest things in, in Grixis that people don't like to think about, Rakdos is like an awesome mid-range deck that like removes everything that your opponents do and also can um, discard some of the stuff that they're doing. Um, but Rakdos's weakness is late game stuff. And so how it helps, what helps that is, you know, your Invoke Despairs, your Shieldreds, and then the Make Disappear is probably the hugest thing. Uh, because Rakdos commonly loses the top decks, and if you have access to counter spells and reliably, uh, what is your opponent going to do? I don't know. I feel, I feel like you just explained the perfect deck. Wet Rakdos. I mean, <laughs> yes. I, I don't need to say anymore. I'm done here. <laughs> All right, podcast is over. Uh, hmm. See you next time. And anyway, um, so yeah, Grixis Midrange basically does it all. Let's talk about some decks that are kind of a, like one tier below that in the A tier decks. This is a deck that you might take to a big tournament and you have some cool tech against Grixis that you want to try out. And this de these decks can win a tournament for sure. We have uh, Esper Midrange, Rakdos Midrange that you already talked about. So those two decks. I think are at the A tier, not quite as good as Grixis, but you do get the white cards with Esper, like Wedding Announcement. You get Wandering Emperor. You get AO if you wanted to play it. You get Liaza if you wanted to play it. Um, you get um, a lot of good sideboard cards, like like um, Destroy Evil that you can play in the sideboard. Um, there's a lot of cards you can play in white. The mana is a little, it is almost exact. It's exactly the same as Grixis. You get the same number of of pain lands. You get you you get the tri land as well from Esper and Grixis right now in standard. So the mana base is the same, but you're you're putting the white cards in, but you're missing out on Blood Tithe Harvester. You're missing out on Corpse Appraiser, and you're missing out on Fable of the Mirror Breaker. And whether or not that you can whether or not you can play Invoke Despair in either one of these decks, of course you can. But that big miss with Fable of the Mirror Breaker changes a lot of things from how your opponent can play against you. And it's kind of like a, a hit or miss. If you you have your you have your your wedding announcements and your your fiend and your wandering emperor, but it comes at the price of not being able to play Fable of the Mirror. Yeah, I think also uh, looking at the color pips, this is more pip intensive. When I say color pips, you have certain like mana that you need to pay in order to make the spells work. And if you do look at this deck list, um, it's a little bit more color intensive than the Grixis build, um, where like on turn two, you can have some things that are color intensive that you drew the right lands, which hopefully you did. Um, so that can be something that causes it to stumble. And then, you know, Grixis and some other decks have found ways to maybe exploit some of the things that uh, Esper is doing. So I think that's probably why we see it uh, take a step down, even though, I mean, I think there's a chance of it getting back up there in win percentage, because although or Grixis won the world championships. Uh, Esper midrange had a win percentage that was higher than Grixis midrange at that tournament. So I don't know. I think it's still something to keep your eye on. And, and I think between Esper and Grixis, it could be just they could both be doing a little bit of swapsies as far as which one's S tier. Right. Uh, one one big thing that Esper has that kind of Grixis has with Fable the Mirror Breaker is Rafine letting you churn through your deck and, and getting that draw discard and, and getting into the cards you need is very valuable. But it the Grixis with Fable the Mirror Breaker is a little bit harder to interact with than Rafine is. Rafine has Ward 1, which is not nothing. But right. yeah. you can just cut down Rafine and pay the extra mana. 
you can't cut down a Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Yeah, you can cut down the 2-2, but the other 2-2's coming in two turns, and it, you still get the draw discard. And if you don't deal with the 2-2, you get the treasure token to really churn through your deck and maybe have some turn 4 invoke despairs. So I think Grixis might edge out Esper because you get the uh, almost guaranteed churn through your deck with Fable than you do with Rafine, and you also get the chance to turbocharge your deck with treasure tokens. So anyway, there's also Rakdos midrange, which doesn't play white with Esper and doesn't play the blue that Grixis plays. So you get to play a lot of uh, some cards that are a little bit more intensive towards red and black mana. It's way easier for you to cast Invoke Despair. Uh, you can even dip into cards that usually mono black plays. You get to dip into like more Phyrexian Flesh Gorger things. You get to, with double black pip, you get to dip into more Lilianas in the deck because that's double black pipped. You get to, you get to play maybe even the one drop that can, that the modal card that you can make a 2-2 two -two and then a 3-3 three -three death touch and then start drawing cards. You can play that. There's, you get a little bit of, of wider range of pipped cards and it's, it's even easier for you to play a card like Brotherhood's End uh, post-board because you you are just two colors instead of three, it's a little bit easier for you to cast double red on turn three. So, Arachnos Midrange, you already talked about before, but this is your deck, so I'll let you talk about it for a second. Yes, thank you. Uh, so, I like, you mentioned all these solid points. The biggest solid point, I think, is you're smooth. You're, you're just, you're silky smooth, like a fine whiskey on a cold, cold campfire night. Oh my like goodness, let's not, let's not go that far, okay? We're not an ASMR podcast. Smooth, brother. <laughs> um, smooth like honey so, whiskey. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's exactly what we're speaking into. Uh, I personally have built a list more... Uh, I built the list of Javier Dominguez, a, a former world champion, Um and I really like his list. You get access to two Brotherhood, and in the main, you get some burn down the house, which is huge. Like playing that against any deck that has like planeswalkers and creatures, um, or you can just I you know attack for the win, which I've done with the one three uh, one ones that it makes. I mean, deck is silky, <clears throat> silky, silky smooth, um, and you get access to both the best of of red and black um which you know i, I don't know if y'all y'all been listening for a while rakdos gang gang all day all day all day all day um yeah they know so, they know michael they know they know uh, okay they know. <laughs> they know okay um so i think i think this thing has a lot of powerful stuff going on and the consistency is really nice um i really don't know how to like i beat a grixis player today with it um i i don't know you know if there is you know, 50,000 matches played between the Grixis player and the Rakdos player, which one would win? Um, but I think Grixis wins as far as, like, it going against the whole metagame as a whole. So I think Rakdos midrange is, is sweet. Um, and it's it's a, it's a definitely a viable thing to take to your LGS or to a tournament. You know, just put in the reps, put in the reputation or repetitions, and I think uh, it might treat you well. But also put in the reputations. Yeah. Yeah, you have to you have to be good with the Rakdos gang gang. I am, uh, you know, a spokesman or you know, uh, ambassador of it. So if you want to get good with Rakdos game, just speak to me. Also, there's something that we didn't mention yet about Rakdos that gives it the edge against uh, with uh, Grixis and Esper against decks like Mono White, Blue White, Mono White, Blue White Soldiers, and Mono Red is that you don't have to pain yourself as much. And 
when you have to cast Rafine and you have like two pain lands, like you're really you're really hurting. Like or even three pain oh, yeah. lands in, in, in Esper, like you're really hurting. If you have to cast a corpse, a corpse appraiser in Grixis and you have like three pain lands, like you just lose to mono red yeah. and to and to all those decks. So having Rakdos not having as many pain lands, it's also worth mentioning. And we have Reck Reckoner Bankbuster in the main, which is like that card did so much work. Like you get to use Sulphurous Spring and only use the colorless. And, you know, sometimes you just get to play a, uh, a Reckoner Bankbuster while you're kind of just playing the draw-go thing. And you get to draw your card and leave up interaction. Your opponent doesn't know what you're doing. So, also just super great, especially in Standard. I think in Standard, like, something I've been learning in this, like, Standard set is, like, it pays dividends that, you know, you have mana sinks to do, but you have things to put mana sinks into, so your opponents don't know what you're doing, so. Yeah, for sure. Especially on Arena when there's, like, stops. And even if you don't have anything, you still get the stop for their bankbuster. Uh -huh. So it it kind of denies your opponent information in that way. All right, we have um the everything everything else outside of this I think has a long shot at winning a tournament, but in the right metagame could be good, uh, and could give the top decks a run for their money for sure. But aren't quite there yet. We're not going to talk about each one of these because it's going to take too long. But we have mono blue tempo. We have Grixis Sacrifice, which I think is probably the top of the B tier, B tier because they got a new card, Third Path Iconoclast, that this deck can really get out of hand really quickly. You get to play four copies of Oni Cult Anvil, and there's a, the Artifact Draw 2 spell in Standard still. So uh, who knows? I think that deck has a really good chance at being really good against Grixis specifically. Because Grixis doesn't have as much life gain as Esper does, and Grixis counter spells can't really counter things that are already on the battlefield, little 1-1s. One the deck has a problem dealing with those, because one thing that Esper doesn't have that Grixis could have is a sweeper. So Grixis can play Brotherhood's End or the card that you mentioned, uh, Burn Down the House, just like Rakdos can. And uh, that could give Grixis an edge... Um, Grixis sacrifice an edge against Esper midrange, not being able to play something like outside of you know farewell or something. But anyway, um, the next one up is mono black midrange, which I know you like a lot, Michael. Yeah, uh, and fan. I think I mean... that can splash it up in standard, but I think it's a little bit worse than the other options. I don't know. I think I think maybe Grixis sack and mono B are in the same uh space i just i think it's just right meta dependent if you bring it to your store or whatever is being whatever is going on in standard i think you're right i think maybe grixis sack i'm thinking about it now grixis sack might edge out mono black mid-range or mono black mid-range uh yeah just because um it has a better grixis mid-range uh fight I think it's because uh, now that I'm thinking about it, Grixis Sack has a better inevitability than Grixis Midrange does, um, if played correctly. Because Grixis Midrange is like, yeah, they're good, but like Grixis Sack, what you're doing, if you're playing the the matchup in the right way, you can invalidate lots of things they're doing and make them fail to attack into you from all the value that you have, and then you can maybe hold up removal for Children, which is like probably the biggest scariest thing that they can be doing um so yeah i mean i think i think that's certainly something to be said and then mono black mid-range i just think mono black mid-range can like run tables and it can run like you know your 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 ceiling your floor is higher than than grixis sack and your ceiling is like 
maybe a little bit lower, but I like that in the sense that like you because of the consistency that you might be able to just you have lower variance. And so like in a night of magic, you might be able to just run the tables um just because your variance is much lower because you you don't have to worry about all the the mana constraints. Right. I do I do agree with you that Grixis Sacrifice has a lower floor but a higher ceiling. Because when when everything's churning, when you get the Oni Cult Anvil and you have the Third Path mm-hmm. Iconoclast and you have the spells and you have the you're you're triggering everything, all these triggers going back and forth. There's the there's the new Sahili, right, that draws cards. Mm-hmm. And um yep. so there's there's some really good things going on in Grixis Sack, but it might actually take a little bit long like a longer to develop the board state that you want to develop for your inevitability. Similar yeah. to like similar to like the old Jun sacrifice deck that played Cauldron Familiar and Witch's Oven and oh, oh. <laughs> and uh mm. and also like uh the Trail of Crumbs. Sometimes you just draw like multiple ovens and no cat and you just like lose. Yeah, you draw the wrong half. Yeah, of your so deck. so it's just like some games you're gonna have that like really, really low floor and just like lose a game because you drew the wrong half of your deck. But uh, sometimes Grixis can just win out of nowhere and have such overwhelming advantage. Like the the fl- the ceiling is so high that it could just run away with the tournament if it keeps drawing well. So that's why I have Grixis sacrifice here in the B tier. Plus, I got a whole bunch of new toys and everything too, like the uh, the Mishra's workshop, Mishra's Mishra's research desk, which is a, a yes, yeah, not workshop, but <laughs> Mishra's research desk is a good one in Grixis sacrifice. We have the uh, C tier here, which is the Jund Wind Race deck, which didn't go anywhere. It has all the same cards, but it's a little bit bigger on mana because Grixis Sacrifice has the ability to counterspell a farewell out of the board with a card like Disdainful Stroke or Negate. And Grixis Midrange gets to have counterspells against the big Jund cards. Um, but if your Jund does have a good win rate against Rakdos, but the problem is. So many of these top decks that we're talking about have blue mana. They're all playing the Stainful Stroke. They're all playing Spell Pierce, maybe. They're all playing, you know, the, all these counter spells. Grixis, Esper, Mono Blue, Grixis Sack. They're all playing counter spells. And if you're going to play uh, Jun Wind Grace, you're just going to have to accept the fact that your Wind Grace or, or your Cruelty of Gix or your Hard Cast Titan of Industry is just going to get countered. Yep. <laughs> yeah, just like you just have to, to just take it, just take it, take the counter spell yep. and cast your next big spell and hope it resolves. So uh, that's why we have that in C tier. Blue white soldiers we have in C tier because the uh, black based mid range decks kind of eat it for lunch with a bunch of cut downs and a bunch of uh, infernal grasps and a bunch of uh, something we talked about the last episode. Talked about the go for the throat being very popular and that's really good against blue white soldiers. But the advantage of it is post-board, you do get counter spells. So you get to counter the, counter the sweepers if you want to, counter the uh, burn down the house if you want to. Plus, Blue White Soldiers has a lot of recursion out of the graveyard. There's the Yotian frontliner that comes back out of the graveyard. There's uh, Thalia, Guardian of Thraben, still in standard, that can really throw control strategies through the loop, especially since the, the mid-range deck has to adapt the strategy of a control deck against an aggro deck like Blue White Soldiers. And... They can draw a lot of cards. Have you played against Blue White Soldiers before as Rakdos Midrange or Mono Black yet in Sanders? Yes, it was it was delicious. I was like, no, 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 no. This is great. Uh, all these little creatures. Yeah, I, I just played like I just played straight into like my sweepers. Like I 
I had my sweepers. I opened my sweepers in my opening seven every time because, like, between Birdtown the House and three copies of Brotherhoods, and I think, yeah, you have four sweepers in your deck. And then I put in an Abrade because they're making, like, artifact creatures, which was great. I just boarded in all my, like, I literally removed all of my um, Invoke Despairs because I was like, I don't think I, I don't care if they have, like, you know, it, it doesn't really do anything if they have a bunch of weenies around, and I just need to, like, interact fast and cheap, you know, and, and hold up mana every turn. And so I just removed the, you know, Invoke Despairs. I think I boarded out a Shield Root or two and something else, and then basically just, like, consumed them for dinner. It was great. I just, it was, it was, it was amazing. I just removed everything, and then they at one point had, like, six creatures on board with, uh, um, what's her name? The Wandering Emperor. And I just like burned down the house and I was just like, cool. I removed my <laughs> like I removed my shieldred and my graveyard trespasser. I didn't even care about that exchange. And they did like a weird block and they blocked their Mishra, like their Mishra land. And I was like, what are you doing? And then I just demolished them and I was like, cool, this is so I don't know. I think I think uh as long as Rakdos maybe mid-range exists in the A tier, um, it's gonna be hard for Azuria soldiers, but maybe I don't know if if maybe you can maybe sneak one on Mig, uh, Grixis and, and Esper, but I I know definitely not against Rakdos mid range. They just have two efficient answers and sweepers and stuff. Yeah, if you, if you get a turn to Thalia, then then you're waiting a whole extra turn to cast Fable the Mirror Breaker, and then then Blue White Soldiers is casting a three drop, and then maybe hold up a counter spell after that. It can it can get pretty rough that there's a Thalia on turn oh, two. Yeah. But the but mm -hmm. the problem is drawing Thalia on turn two. Like you, you got to have it if you're blue white soldiers against these black decks. But I still have it have it as C tier and not lower because if it doesn't play against a black based mid range deck, it is like pretty favored. Yeah, so it's it's playing uh you know not real standard at any given event. Right, there's exactly. Some yes. yeah, <laughs> like like I like I played against blue white soldiers twice today and I beat them both times playing Demir Control. So. You know. <laughs> yeah, it was just like, ooh, you know, it's like uh, delicious. There's soldier O's in the morning. This is a nice cereal. I'm just gonna <laughs> add milk and just crush. Uh, yeah, add milk. <laughs> add milk. Uh, we also have mono red mid range, or not? Wow, mono red mid range. No, mono red aggro. Okay, I did not just make up an archetype. <laughs> you would want that to exist so badly. <laughs> I've never heard of an archetype so made up, but also so wanted by somebody, and that is you. No. I've seen you play. No. I've seen you play like Big Red in Historic. I I've saw. Seen you play yes, I have played Big and Red. If there was if there was a mono red mid range, you don't even have to question it. The one Jame would be farming that fucking deck until eternity. <laughs> I've I have played mono red mid range. I don't know why I said that though, but uh, mono red aggro has a lot of tools. It has uh, turn one Kumano faces Kakazan, and it has you know it got the new Felden card, the two mana two two haste. It also has monastery Swiss beer, lightning strike, play with fire. Uh, a lot of really good cards in mono red. But the problem with mono red is that decks like Esper have just way too much life gain, and Decks like Grixis and Rakdos and Mono Black Midrange and Grixis Sacrifice, for that matter, have way too much removal. So um, between that and Shieldred gaining a ton of life, uh, Mono Red Aggro is in a really weird spot. And I think it has the Blue White Soldiers problem. Like, against Black, black based Midrange decks, kind of bad, but against everything else, pretty freaking good. But when are you ever playing against anything else? I don't know. <laughs> um... But Mono Red Aggro is pretty strong unless it just gets all their creatures, you know, removed. 
and, and, and don't fall for the scam of like VC tier decks. So like one thing, like I love Jund. Like everyone has to come to terms. Not everyone. There's certain people. Uh, Jesse Robkins, aka Titty Pills, on Twitter. You know, she said it best. She's like, everyone has to sometime get out of their Jun girl phase, and you know, sometimes you just gotta you gotta rip the the paracord and and not be with Jun. And I think, I think a lot of these decks fool you because you do well, really well in the beginning parts of a of a of a of a tournament, and you kind of crush some of the like someone's pet deck or like some other B tier deck. But then once you get to the top eights of stuff, like C tier decks tend to start taking losses so just something to kind of keep in mind if you're just like no i'm very passionate about the c tier deck i do really well with it analyze if you ever like get to top eight and then by the time you get to top eight you just like you know go x2 like it's something that that happens right these c tier decks are something that you're gonna you're, you might do well in the beginning of the tournament but as more esper and rakdos and grixis and and sacrifice decks are getting to uh the same record as you and you play against them you you have you're like pretty you're like a pretty massive underdog. So in order to put yourself in that spot, you got to like your deck really like you got to like your deck a lot to keep wanting to play through that and play through losing. So not not that you're guaranteed to lose. There's you know mag magic is a hard game, but correct. Um, just the way the format is lining up right now, um, these three decks are something that would be good if it wasn't for all the all the black removal. Anyway, let's move on on to the the D tier, the last ones here. I have Jund Midrange here because it's a different deck than Jund Windgrace. Jund Windgrace plays sure. more out of the graveyard, more lands out of the graveyard, wants to like hard cast bigger spells. Jund Midrange er, and it is more of a deck that utilizes more spells like Voltage Surge, more spells like uh, Infernal Grasp, and, and um, more things like uh, the four mana Jund card that deals seven damage to something and then kills an artifact or enchantment. It's very value based, but it's not as long game based as the Jun Windrace deck is. And this has the same problems as Jun Windrace and Jun Wind you if you put Jun Windrace against Jun Midrange, I feel like Jun Windrace has a better chance of winning. The man the mana's better, the ramp is better, and um the ability to hard cast Titan of Industries out of the hand is better in a Windrace deck, in my opinion, than Jun Midrange. But anyways, they're kind of in the same vein. We have a couple other decks to talk about blue red tempo and mono white. Uh, mono white is just a worse version of blue white soldiers because you're still yep. playing a lot of the same soldiers <laughs> in mono white, right? Uh, in mono mm -hmm. white, you're still playing Thalia. Thalia is a soldier anyway. You're still playing um, a Brutal Cathar. Brutal Cathar is a soldier anyway. There's a lot of cards in mono white that are just inherently already soldiers, but the soldiers have a lot of synergies together that make it better than mono white. Mono white, you do get to play Wedding Announcement and and uh, Adeline. But I think Blue White Soldiers has more synergy and it still has to have a similar output of aggro as Mono White. So that's why I have Blue White Soldiers as C tier and Mono White as D tier. And we also, the last one we're talking about is Blue Red Tempo. This is a deck that is fairly new ish. It's just Mono Blue Tempo, but splashing red for, I believe, either Third Path Iconoclast or just red removal spells that I have seen. So it still it still plays all the cards like impulse and counter spells and things that mono that the mono blue tempo plays and it also plays the hottie gen as well. But the mana is a lot worse than mono blue of course. And so you can have slip ups there. 
And blue red tempo, sometimes when you need to counter spell and you're drawing all removal spells, sometimes you have that wrong half of the deck problem. And you need you need removal spells and you keep drawing counter spells and your opponent has a board. So you you run into problems there, which is why I have uh, blue red tempo as D tier. And it also doesn't have uh, as many um, good results in big tournaments as mono blue tempo does. What do you think of the blue red tempo deck? Yeah, I mean, I haven't looked into it, but thinking about what's in standard and then trying to just go like blue red, I, I'm thinking of it as like, is it iconoclast? Really, is what the deck is trying to do because that's the only reason why you like make the splash or trying to be both colors mm -hmm. without inserting black or some other thing in there. Um, I guess from this is a gut feeling. This is like a called shot. You know what I'm saying? Why am I the tin hat called shot person? That's not me every time you life. do this like, every time. I don't, I don't understand. Anyway, <laughs> this is, I'm content farming, baby. Um, <laughs> you also so, say that every time. <laughs> it's true. Uh, <laughs> but I'm not. I, I think, I think as these new sets come out, uh, this deck has the most to gain than the other decks. Because I could see in a world where they make some sort of, you know, better um, moon snare prototype or some sort of thing that's a, a, a um something that is similar to like mox amber or make something that's similar to you know these these type of like cheap artifact effects that you can really leverage mana or some sort of value from from turn one in tandem with third plat third uh path iconoclast and you're doing things cheaply and you're holding up interaction and you have the best of both worlds of black blue and red because they're printing really good interactive spells or value spells at those things or artifacts at those mana um, values of one and two, perhaps even a really good three. And so I think, you know, I'm guessing because we're doing very Phyrexian things, very artifact things, it might be something where I think the theme of the next sets might lend itself to it. So don't, you know, don't come and be like, Michael, you promise I have no insider information. I'm just like, as a gut feeling, it feels like you you are tempo with iconoclast might be something that we see at, develop even more and maybe in a solid you know a uh or s tier as we see more cards drop from for further sets right blue red tempo does have the ability to be more aggressive than the mono blue tempo does blue red tempo you can also play monastery swiss beer you get made fable the mirror breaker absolutely um, so and that's what i'm saying like, that, yeah. like yeah, when when you're able, I forget. Is it instant and sorceries or monos, monastery or non-creature spells? Uh, monastery is non-creature spells, and so is iconoclast. Right. So like those get super nasty if we have like low mana uh, value stuff, like a mox amber or like a moon snare prototype or something that's better than like as good or better than those things I mentioned, and like. Then those just run away with games. I mean, we, so. we have we I, have Moonstar prototype still because it came out right, in Common Fantasy, but, but I, we, I'm we, referencing yeah something. I'm referencing for the listeners. I'm trying to reference something that they may know of. That's not like a, a person might not know exactly what a Mox Amber is, even though it just got printed, yeah. or like a Mox Amber. Type or, or like we're like you know like a Springleaf Drum or something. Might not know what those are. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, I I still I think out of the out of the D tier decks, it has the highest chance of being of going up a tier. A tier or two, oh, depending yeah. on what cards come out. So we could, we could we could even like I don't know anything about anything about this down the line, but we could be like maybe getting charms reprinted. Like, is it charm and stuff? Like, 
you mm-hmm. never know like we, we have prismari command in in older formats as well that that uh you know if a card like that comes out there's also the mitros command that's like could be good in blue white tempo but it's a little bit more mana than you would than you would really want to cast in a blue white tempo deck so um we'll, we'll see we'll see i do think out of all these cards not cards out of all these decks the blue white tempo has a chance to shine out of all of them but anyways yeah, i agree yeah um that is our our tier list of standard we have S tier at Grixis midrange, A tier at Esper midrange and Rakdos midrange, B tier at Mono Blue Tempo, Grixis Sacrifice and Mono Black midrange, C tier at Jund Windrace, Blue White Soldiers and Mono Red Aggro, D tier at Jund midrange, Blue Red Tempo and Mono White, um, Mono White Aggro, Mono White Humans. So, anyway, thank you so much to everybody for listening and especially those who made it this far. Make sure to give us a follow to see our next episodes. Subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. Follow us on Twitter at Nuts and Bolts Pod, and we will see you in the top eight.